very thankful to see all of you uh, this evening. Glad to have opportunity to be with you once again. I trust that you will uh, respect the admonition of uh, the brethren and pray diligently as we attempt to speak to you tonight. I was reminded of an experience I had at home uh, probably, goodness, over 20 years ago now. <clears throat> we were having an issue of uh, everybody coming in and sitting in the back of the building and, and making it hard to find a place to sit. So... <laughs> We had a pretty good-sized group of uh, teenage girls, and a couple of them lived at my house, so I had a little bit more than ordinary influence, but <laughs> I, I talked to those girls, and I said, you know, I know you all would be glad to do anything you could to help the church. Oh, yes, sir, yes. Sir. I said, what we need you to do is move up front and sit on those benches. And uh, they agreed to do that. And the deal I made with them was that they would sit up there until they started bringing boyfriends and then they could move by. That was just the deal I made with the girls who wrote me, okay? Well, Brother Mike Ivey came to visit us after those girls had become accustomed to sitting up there he got up and, and uh, in his opening remarks, he said, you all have the prettiest amen corner I've ever seen. <laughs> and two old brothers sitting over here pop buttons off their shirts. <laughs> but, so, you all have a beautiful amen corner. Thankful for I was afraid Brother Alec was going to go over there and sit down and mess me up. <laughs> Thank you. I want to call your attention to an interesting expression or an expression that's interesting to me in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Now, Brother Michael and I had a good visit today. Uh, I told you last night that I didn't know of anything we didn't agree on. We worked at it really hard today and found it. <laughs> it's, it's very small and I'm not going to touch it. I have to admit, he's got me thinking, I may have to change my position. Oh, my. I haven't yet, but I may have to. Now, I'm willing to do that. Uh, well, it'd be hard. <laughs> but uh, I know what he preached about last Sunday, so I'm going to tie to that. I was casting about in my mind what to talk about, and he told me what he what he talked about, and I can't get can't get away from it. So I'm not going to re-preach. If he told me what he preached correctly, I'm not going to re-preach that. But but I'm going to I'm going to. Hook to it to 
uh, you folks who heard him last Sunday, uh, you remember what he talked about. Uh, we, we're going to try to connect with that. In Acts 22, we have one of the times that the Apostle Paul recounted his experience on the road to Damascus. And when Paul would be, it seems to me, in the most trouble with the Jewish people, at the point they were about to stone him to death, he would go back and tell them about that experience that he had. And he would remind them that I was more zealous than you are in persecuting these Christians until that day while on the road to Damascus with letters of authority to bind and cast in prison all those people I could find calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Jesus spoke to me from heaven and it is, it is as though he were saying to them, I understand what you think, but if you had felt what I felt and seen what I saw, you would be where I am now instead of persecuting me for what I'm doing now. So it was his, his reason that he gave to his Jewish brethren who he still loved prayed for. We know he prayed for him from Romans chapter 10. It's his explanation to them for why I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Now you and I probably don't have as profound an experience as Paul had when we're asked by others why would you follow the Lord Jesus? But each of us has experience in our life that we could refer to and cite and say, I felt things and I've experienced things within my being that leave me no option. Really. But to be a believer and a follower to some degree, of Jesus. So he, he goes through his experience here uh, on this occasion. And, and he's, he's speaking in the Hebrew tongue, which he, you know, Paul's bilingual or actually trilingual or perhaps more than that. He speaks several languages and he can... He can switch back and forth at will, but most of the Jews spoke Hebrew, so he's speaking to Jews, and he speaks in the Hebrew tongue. And it's interesting to me that as he goes through this experience, he tells them that God spoke to me in the Hebrew tongue. <clears throat> Just a little little nugget for the Jews. <laughs> He didn't speak to me in Greek. He didn't speak to me in Latin. He spoke to me in the Hebrew tongue. He, he, he gave them that. It's something for them to think about and consider. But he goes through the experience that he had when he's traveling with those letters of authority and, the, and, and God spoke to him from heaven. 
and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And in verse 9 he says, And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Notice Paul doesn't hesitate to say, It is the Lord. It was the Lord. Have you noticed how often our friends, and I'm afraid even we ourselves, Many times in talking about what the Lord has done for us are reluctant to say it was God. We hedge. We, think, we, we, we hesitate. But Paul said, the Lord said to me. I tell you, there are times in our experience, I believe, when we cannot doubt It is God who is dealing with us. And we may as well acknowledge that. I don't know why we wouldn't be willing to acknowledge. Well, we know it's God. It is God who is speaking to me, blessing me, guiding me, granting me mercy in this life. The Lord has said, said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. Now, if you back up about four verses, he said they saw the light, but it didn't blind them. <laughs> They didn't see as much brilliance in that light as Saul saw. It was so bright to him that it blinded him. Why was the difference? Because the light shined directly to Saul. It wasn't intended for those others. They saw it. But God sent it to Saul. And it came directly to him, and when he looked upon the light, it blinded him. It was the glory of the light that that rendered him unable to see. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, he said, The fellow who came to me at Damascus and talked to me was one who the law would would render or declare to be a devout man and one that the Jews themselves call a good man. He's still talking to Jews, you remember. He's laying his argument out. He's, He's ordering his cause. He came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. 
What an interesting way for a preacher to start talking to a man who has come to him full of questions. Receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. He could see. He could see. Now, what good did that do? Well, two things. It allowed Saul to be able to see. And it testified to Saul that this man is indeed a messenger of God for me. Amen. I had a little surgery back in December. It was very successful and I got along really well. Uh, Doc gave me ten pain pills and I I kept nine of them. I mean, everything went great. We have another brother in our area who's a few years older than me who had the same surgery same week by a different doctor and he called me about a month later and asked me how mine went. And I said, went fine. And he said, do you have any problems? And I said, not one. I'm back at work. Everything's great. And he said, well, mine's failed. I'm going to have to have it done again. He said, I need the name of your doc. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> you get the picture? If mine went well, his didn't go well, he'll go to my doctor next time. <laughs> Saul has come here because God sent him here. And now God gives Saul the ability, or Ananias the ability to give his sight back to Saul so that Saul knows he's in good hands. Because Ananias is going to unload a load on Saul. What Ananias is going to tell him would be enough to bring a mortal man to his knees. Under ordinary circumstances, he needs to know this is the message of God to me. If he's going to handle the news he's about to get. So he said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight in the same hour I looked up upon him. Where was Saul? He was down. And he looked up at this preacher. You know what would have happened if he'd found Ananias five days earlier? He had arrested him. He would have looked down on him. He would have held the coats of those who stoned him to death. But having been rendered helpless, blind, having now been given his sight again, having been spoken to directly by the God of heaven, he looks up to this servant of God. Now, I believe that Saul received spiritual life on the road to Damascus. I believe he was born again there. 
At the moment that he saw the light and heard the voice of the Son of God, the Spirit of God came into him. He was made a new creature in Christ. I don't want to spend all night proving that, but that's, that's my position. I ran over that so fast, I didn't want you to think I didn't believe that. You'd send me back to Arkansas. Verse 14. Now this is the beginning of the gospel message that Ananias delivers to Saul. The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. Do you know another word for chosen? Think about that a minute. I'll give you work. I'll give you a minute to ponder that. Old school teacher of me. Another word for chosen. How about elected? Amen. The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. Now, when did God choose Saul? While he was holding the coats of the folks who stoned Stephen to death? I hardly think so. While he was going to Damascus with letters of authority and full intent to carry out persecution to the point of murder against those who were worshiping Jesus? I hardly think so. But did God know that would happen when He chose Saul? Yes, without doubt. Did God choose Saul because He persecuted Christians? Cannot be. But He chose Saul in spite of what God knew about Saul. Is the election of God based upon a man's good works? Well, in the case of Saul, it absolutely was not. And Saul is no different than all of us in this matter. If indeed God has chosen us, He chose us not for good works, not because of foreseen good works, but in spite of the foreseen evil in us. That is a principle of God's grace that we must not forget. That we are the objects of the mercy of God who chose us in spite of us. In spite of our nature, in spite of our foreseen action, God chose us without regard to those things. The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. What a blessing. What a mercy of God. Preachers didn't want to see Saul. When God spoke to Ananias and said that he's coming and you go out there and tell him Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about him. 
He's persecuting Christians. Ananias didn't want to go. The Lord said he's a chosen vessel in the You go and don't be afraid. <clears throat> I, I, I've met a couple of youngsters since I've been on, on here who are a little shy. Uh, one of them's getting over it. Uh, but but uh, there's a young sister tonight who was a little shy when her um, grandmother, I guess, was going to introduce her to me, and, and she kind of hid around behind her skirts, you know, and a little bashful, a little bashful, a little bit afraid of me. And, and you know what folks will say when a child is being, don't be afraid. How much has that ever helped? <laughs> I mean, let's get real. You see how big old ugly father? They don't know. And they've been taught all this stranger danger stuff. And you expect them to well, don't be afraid of him. Look at him. You know? They're still scared. <laughs> But God told Ananias, you go and, and don't be, don't fear not. I tell you, when God tells us don't fear, we can go. You can bury your fear and go forward in courage and strength. If God says fear not, it'll be okay. So he went. And he, and he talks to Paul about what God has done. Now we don't have the entire speech or conversation recorded here in this place. We don't have it recorded back over in Acts. Is it eight? We don't have it all recorded in, in Acts 26 where Paul gives us parts of it again. I'm sure there are things Ananias said to Saul on that occasion that are not recorded. But somehow in that conversation, Ananias communicates to Saul, who's later called Paul, enough of the work of the Lord Jesus in grace that he comes to understand, though I'm a great sinner, my sins have been placed on the Lord Jesus. He, he bore them to judgment for me. I've been adjudged by God to be free of sin and I've, I'm saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> I picked on Brother Gary a little bit last night, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, I, I just got through re-listening to the MP3 recording of our annual meeting at my home church in 2012, uh, I finished it up somewhere in Mississippi on the way over here, actually. And uh, <clears throat> Brother Gary was our, our uh, invited minister that year, and he, we we had a great meeting. But uh, one discourse he began by saying uh, that he had been visiting with some primitive Baptists. 
asking the question, when were we saved? And he got a variety of answers. He said the first person he asked said we were saved before the foundation of the world. Well, I, I know sometimes people say that. That's not quite right. And some people say we were saved when we were born again. That's in one sense we are. And then some folks say we were saved when Jesus died on the cross. You know, you get those various answers. Now, God purposed to save us before the foundation of the world. The Bible does describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross as saving us. And most of your friends in the world mean by salvation, when were you born again? I, I understand that. There's a legitimate, there's some legitimacy in all those answers, but, but so so those those three things have been said. All those have already happened in the life of Saul of Tarsus when he gets to the house of Ananias. God chose him before the foundation of the world and purposed his salvation. Jesus died for him on the cross of Calvary. He was born again on the road to Damascus. Paul has eternal life. His sins were put away by the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. They'll never be remembered against Him anymore by God the Father. There is now no condemnation to Him. He is in Christ Jesus. His sin debt has been paid. He's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But Ananias tells him what he needs to do. Verse 16 now of Acts 22. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. That's what it says. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, if that's the only verse you know in all of Scripture, and somebody asks you, how do folks get their sins put away, what are you going to tell them? You have to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Wash away your sins and you have to do it. Call him on the name of the Lord. That's what you tell him. You remember when Ananias says this to Paul, Jesus has already died, been buried, rose again, gone back to heaven. There is no sin to his charge before the throne of God. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. 
Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. There is now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. Therefore now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. His sin debt is gone. Amen. It cannot be laid to His charge. So what does Ananias mean when he says to Paul, wash away your sins by being baptized? What in the world does he mean? Okay? Let's go to Leviticus 14. In Leviticus 14, we have the law of the leper who is healed. Are clean, cleansed. Now, I want us to remember as I talk about this 14th chapter of Leviticus, this second verse. This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Who said that? God said that. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Verse 3. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. Now in Moses' day, under the law of Moses, the priest was the diagnostician. We go to medical doctors today, we go to one doctor to find out what's wrong with us, we go to another doctor to find out what to do about it, and we go to a third doctor to actually do what is to be done. That, I'm honest, that's real. That, that happens a lot with us nowadays, does it not? Under the law of Moses, the priest diagnosed, the priest prescribed, and then the priest checked to make sure that the man was healed. Or that he was. The lepers were not ordinarily healed. The lepers ordinarily died lepers. But sometimes God in his mercy would heal a leper. And if a leper, that is a man who has leprosy or a person who has leprosy, just Notice that his skin has started to turn white. That I'm getting over it. I think I'm healed. He couldn't go into the camp because the law of Moses forbade the leper to come into the camp. If a priest says you have it, you were quarantined. Anybody know what that word means these days? <laughs> You had to be isolated. 
Now, by the way, you had to wear a mask. <laughs> Man, I tell you what. Mask. I know COVID. I'm not even wearing one. COVID has become such a political issue in our land. And I, I've heard all this stuff. I'm not going to do what Dr. Fauci is that, is that his name? I'm not going to do what he says, you know. I tell you, God said wear a mask back in the day of the left. I don't like them either, but there's a time and a place. I will charge for that. <laughs> but he couldn't come back into the city. He couldn't come into the camp. But if a priest is going to look at him, he had to make a house call outside the camp. So when the leper looked at himself and said, I'm over it, I'm past it, it's not there anymore, he would go outside the camp and the priest would go out where he is and look at him. And if the plague of leprosy be healed, the doctor says it's, got, it's, the, it's the priest, but they didn't have a doctor. If the priest said it's healed, the man's already over it. He doesn't have leprosy anymore. Now leprosy is a picture of sin. It is a type of sin in the Bible. And if we bring that down to the age of Saul, when is the leprosy healed? It was healed when Jesus died. When could it be seen that it was healed? When the Spirit of God came into him on the road to Damascus, he had already been made free of the legal effect of, of sin when Jesus died. On the road to Damascus, there was a vital cleansing that took place. He's free of sin. Legally, he's been born again. And now he's at the preacher's house. And the preacher tells him to wash away your sin. In what sense? In what sense? Okay, let's follow the law of the leper a little farther. And the priest shall command, and I'm not going to go through this because Brother Michael preached on this Sunday. But there are two birds, they kill a bird, they dip a bird in the blood, they sprinkle some of the blood on the man's ears, right thumb, his right big toe, y'all remember that? And, and then sprinkle it on his head. Yeah. What I want out of it is in verse 8. And he that is to be cleansed, that's the leper who has been healed, shall wash his clothes, and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. Now, get his hair off in case there's a little bit of leprosy on his scalp. You've got to make sure he, he takes off. You know, he washes himself, takes a bath. Washed all his clothes. 
And after that, <coughs> he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. Isn't that something? He can come to town, but he can't go to his house. Priest said he's clean. So he can come into the camp, but he can't go into his tent. So where does he live? Around the house. In the city. In the camp. But he can't come in yet. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head. He only has a week's growth. He shaved last week. On the seventh day he shaved his head. And his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. And he can go home. What a day! Yeah. He's been living out there a leper. Yeah. His family doesn't know if he'll ever be able to come back. They don't know if they'll ever be able to talk to him again. They don't know if they'll ever be able to look on his face again. He's a leper. He's banished from the camp. And then they hear he's back in the camp. He can't come home yet, but he's back in the camp. And there's coming a day that he can come home. <clears throat> you know Solomon's temple had a porch. And God was as particular in giving the details for the construction of the porch as He was for the inside of the temple. What's the porch for? Those who had an interest in the temple, those who had an affinity for the things of the temple, but who couldn't quite come in, they could come to the porch. We have some folks lingering just outside the house. They've been touched by the Spirit of God. They've been made to recognize that God in heaven is a God of mercy and He's a God of grace. And God has put away their sins. And they've been born again. But they're not living in the house of God. They're living on the porch. They'll show up for service. They love the church. They hear the gospel and their souls feed upon it. But they've not yet come home. They, they understand something of the Gospel. They feel a great relief in hearing the Gospel preached. They're beginning to feel that I'm embraced in the election of God. But they're not living in the house. What, what do they need? 
they need to be certified in a formal way by one who has authority to do so to have a place in the house of God. So how do they get it? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord, and come and live in God's house. There's a place for children of God outside the house in the camp. But you don't want to stay there too long. You need to come home into the camp. I'll share this experience with you from very recently. There is a young sister in our part of the country whose husband is my 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 first cousin once removed, I guess. My first cousin's son. And they lived for a few years in a, in a town where I go to serve a church. And uh, she started coming with him um, several years ago to the church. After she'd been coming about a year, she sat down with me one day and she said, Well, I'm going to confess. I came here looking to find something wrong that I could tell Justin we didn't need to be bothered with these folks and I can't find it. I said, that's okay with me. She said, I believe what you preach. I said, well, that's great. That's wonderful. And I thought she was about to join the church, but she wasn't quite there. She had a couple lining ups. So we worked on those a little bit, and one day her husband came to me and said, Brother James, I, I, I'm going to move. Um, circumstances in life are such we just have to move, and we're going to move uh, down close to the church Brother Adam Green serves, and he said, I hope you'll understand. Well, it's tough, you know, small church, and hate to see this family move away, but so be it. If you have to do it, you have to do it. So they moved down near Old Union and started going down there. That's a wonderful group of old Baptists down there. And I'd encourage you to visit them right after. You can do that or you should go back home from Revelation. But uh, I went to their annual meeting. Second weekend in March. I went in and sat down in the lunchroom and I I barely got sat down and and here she came, and she sat down across the table from me, and she asked about my wife, and asked about my kids, and I knew she was getting nervous about something. And she told me, you know, about her kids and their activities, and she finally, and she kept getting more and more nervous, and she finally said, I've made up my mind to join this church. And I said, well, that's great. I've been, I've been hoping you would. And she said, uh, she said, I, I, uh, I'm kind of waiting a little bit. She said, you know, I don't want to be in that creek in the wintertime, really. <laughs> and I said, well, I understand that. So I let her, no, I let her have that. Until I got ready to leave Saturday afternoon, and I, I went around and I put my arm around her. And I said, Sister, 
Once you know what you ought to do, and you find an excuse, the devil will supply you another one when that one's gone. And once you know what you ought to do, and you don't do it, the devil's going to fuel you with excuses just as long as you like. Well, she waited another week. And she passed for all. So last Sunday afternoon, I, I went down there and baptized her in the creek. And, and it wasn't all that cold. She thought it was, but it wasn't all <laughs> What's happened? She lived outside the tent for a while and fed on leftovers. But this week, she's living in the house of God. Now, the little stream where I baptized her, and incidentally, Brother Adam baptized her son that same afternoon. There's a lesson in that. You know, a good example does do good works. It does lead to good things. Right. That little stream where I baptized her is beautiful, clear water. It's, that's in a very mountainous area. And it's a little mountain stream, and when it rains, it gets ugly. It gets huge. But, you know, I hadn't had any rain for a little while, and it was, it was just right, really. And I baptized her in water that was about yay deep, and I could see every gravel on the bottom. The water was just that clear. And it wasn't dirty down the creek after I baptized her. There wasn't anything that went washing down the water, not literally. But there was a signification, a picture. And in baptism, there is the picture of exactly how our sins are put away. It's the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't it amazing that God gave us a ceremony as a way of entrance into His house that pictures what made it okay for us to be here to begin with. Had He not died for us, we wouldn't be fit for the kingdom of heaven. But thank God, by His mercy, Our sins have been put away. By His grace, we've been born again. And we have opportunity to signify it and move into His house and live with His people the rest of the days of our lives. May God grant us the blessings of the fellowship of that house while we live out our lives here below. I thank you for your good attention. Amen.